I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3 Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. This week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau offered his first public comments on an allegation he groped a reporter at an event 18 years ago. We look at how this story came to be and what damage, if any, it does to the PM's public image. It's Thursday, July 5th. A small-town newspaper editorial from 18 years ago has spelled trouble for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Adrian Humphreys, a senior investigative reporter with the National Post, has been looking into this story. So, Adrian, just if you can catch some listeners up to speed, what is being alleged here? Well, in 2000, so it's 18 years ago, there was a, a small editorial in a small newspaper that had some very loaded uh, language in, in regards to someone who was known, uh, not as well known back then as he is now, and that's Justin Trudeau, who's, who's gone on to become our prime minister. But at the time, uh, this was before he was involved in politics, uh, but he was, of course, famous for being the son of uh, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. And uh, so he attended this uh Beer-sponsored music festival in uh, called the Kokanee Summit Festival in Creston Valley in BC, and and after he left, an editorial appeared um, referring to his inappropriately handling. Uh, a female, young female reporter, uh, a reference to groping a strange young woman, uh, his improper etiquette. And uh, an apparent, uh, an alleged apology he gave to the woman, saying that he never should have been so forward. So these were sort of the the, the grist for uh, for uh, our investigation. Um, Eighteen years later, when he became much more prominent, and uh, when the story came, this uh, editorial was uh, sort of reemerging in the public uh, eye. So, eighteen years ago, he goes to Creston. This editorial gets written, and it kind of just is lost into the ether. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like it's it's a five thousand, you know, a few thousand circulation in a town of five thousand. Uh, you know, this is before the internet really uh, was was in place, so it, it it just didn't have you know the social media uh, sphere to to swirl it up. And how did it come back into the public eye? Um, well, there's a, a little bit of mystery in this. I would imagine some people who um, uh, are uh, trying to stir things up, perhaps. Um, we don't know exactly the origins of uh, of its reemergence. It, it came to my attention when it was republished verbatim and without content, without any context, in uh, Frank, the satirical and, and political magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, and that uh, drew our attention to uh, meaning that this is something that should really be looked at further, given uh, the. The, the, the times we live in and, and the prominence of the person involved. So what kind of work was involved for you at the Post in, in getting into this story a little more? Well, it's a really tricky thing because, I mean, ultimately what we're talking about is a is an allegation uh, against an extremely prominent person uh, that in an unsigned editorial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so the first thing we wanted to do was was find the author of the editorial and and to find the 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 woman who was making these allegations and and that was surprisingly tricky um, and we found out uh, subsequently that the, the the woman who made the allegations uh, the was a reporter at the paper and we found out that she had originally written this editorial so these are this is her editorial that she obviously wanted it to be known at the time which is important to us because um, yeah. you know if she ends up being sort of a, a victim of harassment of some disgrace 
description here. Um, you know, you don't want to force, you know, force that onto uh, people making those accounts. But she made this account public. Um, mm. she, we subsequently learned that she doesn't want to discuss it anymore. She um, she doesn't want to be known. She doesn't want her name to be put forward. We, we know her name. We contacted her. Uh, she had no interest in, in, in discussing it with us. And so that left us to try and find um, um, out of more about it in other ways. So we went to her publisher and we went to her editor at the time, both of whom are no longer with the paper. In fact, no one's involved with the paper. Uh, the other reporter at the time, those two reporters, uh, we contacted sort of everyone in the newsroom that we could find to try and uh, uh, help us find the context behind this editorial and these allegations. Right, because as part of the story, the fact that he, the prime minister is the leader of our country right now um, and has been vocal about allegations of harassment um, among other members of his party, there's still a relevance to what may have happened at some point, even if the the woman who wrote the editorial doesn't necessarily want to discuss it. You're absolutely right. I mean, and this was crucial to to why we feel this was something that's in the public's interest. I mean, um, uh, the the prime minister has gone on record as saying that he's you know been very careful all of his life to not have to worry about any types of allegations like this. Uh, mm -hmm. He was asked about it when the sort of what's called you know the Me Too movement uh, came about, and uh, members of his own party, he was very quick to discipline them um, for for inappropriate remarks, inappropriate actions that they've made, um, and. Uh, you know the discipline was was quite swift and ejected from caucus and so forth so so all of this um uh makes it uh, relevant today uh even though the allegation itself is 18 years old yeah and so you went through the task of tracking down the other people who would have been working at the paper at the time and you spoke with her bosses and what did they say to you about the incident well, this is very important to us because, you know, this this isn't a case of someone coming forward and remembering an incident from 18 years ago. Um, not only do we have the editorial that was contemporaneously written uh, at the time uh, by the uh, alleged person involved here, but we also had uh, her publisher and her editor whom she had gone to. The, in the publisher's case, immediately after the event, and in the editor's case, um, very soon after when he returned to the newsroom, um, and and made a verbal report to them uh, uh, at, at the time of the very similar nature as what's written in the editorial. Mm -hmm. So we have these two very two very independent, very credible position people in a in a position to know who had direct contact with the woman uh, who made these contemporaneous allegations and, re and reported back to them about her discomfort and in fact in the words of one her distress over these unsettling encounters. And once you have these kind of confirmation uh, of what the editorial suggested uh, these allegations were taken to the prime minister's office and at first and I believe to other media outlets, all that was offered was a statement, correct? 
Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a very, very unsatisfactory response to the truth. I mean, given the nature of the uh, of the incident and given uh, um, professed uh, non-involvement in it, uh, we, we were hoping uh, to have a one-on-one uh, direct conversation with the prime minister about this. Um, we had to contend ourselves uh, with this uh, canned statement um, saying that he didn't remember any negative interactions, and um, and that was a a statement that uh, had been farmed out to anyone who asked um, from a prime minister spokesperson and different spokespersons, persons all issuing the same, uh, the same statement. Even after we, we had more and we, and we went back to the prime minister's office several times to say, listen, you know, we've spoken to the publisher, we've spoken to the editor, we've, we've, you know, been in touch with the woman involved. We, we've, uh, you know, have the context behind this. We, this is, this is what we, uh, you know, have and what, what we know. Um, we would like to have more mm-hmm. uh, context text from the Prime Minister. We'd like to have more input from the Prime Minister on his side of things. And there was still absolutely no traction whatsoever. Uh, uh, and uh, I, fo- I followed the Prime Minister's entourage around on his visit to Toronto all day, three events, listening to three speeches, hoping to have an opportunity to st- address this with them. His staff wasn't interested in having that. He never named, came near enough to me to, uh, to ask him directly. Um, now, earlier you said that the editorial used quite loaded language. Um, but at the same time, it was vague on specifics as to what may have occurred. Now, has anyone filled in those blanks or is it still unclear? It's still uh, a, a little uh, somewhat unclear. Um, you know, the, the the publisher who took the first report is a female publisher. She had a, a visit from from the young reporter. Um and 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 she was trying to be discreet for the sake of uh, of her reporter. She didn't want to mm-hmm. say uh, too much of the detail. She said it was very brief. Um, yeah, she described her as uh, being distressed about it and called it an un- unsettling encounter. But what specifically happened in that brief moment? Uh, the when, the where, the the circumstances of it, we do not yet know. Yeah, and there's still questions lingering from the prime minister here. Correct. Excellent, Adrian. Thanks very much. Well, thank you for your interest, Dave. This is Dave Breckenridge, host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian Current Affairs podcast. The name represents Canada's 10 provinces and three territories, and each episode takes a deeper look at one of the biggest stories in the country. Our show is powered by the work of journalists and newsrooms across Canada, so be sure to support your local paper. We're available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and more. So be sure to subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear what you think. You can get me on Twitter, Breckenridge, Y-E-G, or dbreckenridge at postmedia.com. After weeks of coverage in the media, the Prime Minister finally made public comment about the allegations made in the Creston Valley advance. Marie Danielle Smith covers federal politics for the National Post. So, in his comment this week, was there any change in tone or tack from the Prime Minister that hadn't been said by the Prime Minister's office? No. So, we saw Trudeau this week really sticking to that talking point, that line that his office was putting out in response to questions from reporters. He said, I remember that day in Creston Well. I had a good day that day. I don't remember any negative interactions that day at all. So it's it's basically the same line, um, not remembering negative interactions. And so where does this become a controversy for the prime minister? I mean, the the idea that 
the editorial was written 18 years ago and in it it actually said that he apologized to the reporter um and then the editorial just kind of went off into the sands of time where does this become controversial for him now yeah, well, we've seen a lot of op-eds come out in the last couple of weeks, um, people questioning why this particular kind of legalese line is being used. Um, him not remembering a negative interaction isn't the same as denying that something happened that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason that this is a problem for Trudeau politically, it's not just that he's the prime minister of Canada being accused, uh, you know, retroactively of having uh, groped someone. It's that he has branded himself as a feminist from day one. Yeah. Um, he has constantly referred back to his days at McGill University, where um, he was involved in helping out victims of sexual assault. That was actually before um, the time of this allegation. Mm-hmm. He has also been taking a very hard line with people in his own caucus and in his own party um, when they've been accused of similar incidents. So because of that, he is facing a lot of questions now as to, well, why aren't you applying the same standard to yourself that you are uh, to your MPs? It's not just taking a hard line on instances that may happen now. He's also said that there's no statute of limitations and that not remembering isn't an excuse. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that we should believe women when they come forward with stories, even if it's something that happened a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing in all of this is that the woman who wrote the editorial um, has said she doesn't want to comment on this. I get the sense that she just wants to leave it in the past. Does that cause a problem for people who are trying to apply the standard to the prime minister that he's applied to other MPs? I think so, because, you know, what we've seen with some other examples in the liberal caucus, including with Kent Hare, who's a cabinet minister, um, accused of making inappropriate comments some years ago, who was kicked out of cabinet um, while he was under investigation. And then when they concluded it, uh, stayed out. So that, that the thing that's kind of stayed consistent there um, is that the women have come forward with the stories. It hasn't been um, a media effort to try and tell stories from the past. It has usually been a woman coming to the party or going to social media and publicly making an allegation. Now, in this case, the woman in question doesn't want to talk to media. Um, But what makes it interesting, I think, and what makes it um, really relevant to a lot of people who are are questioning the prime minister now is that she authored that editorial herself. And, you know, the Liberal Research Bureau, which is very powerful, will Mm -hmm. have known about this editorial for many years, I think. Um, And there was never any correction to it. So there was never any attempt to correct the record if the liberals were under the impression that it wasn't true. Okay. So what are you hearing about on Parliament Hill regarding why or who this would have come from now? Yeah, so there was a lot of chatter, I think, especially within um, the liberal ranks about what the motivations would be for this coming to the surface now. Um We saw Frank Magazine, which is a a gossip publication in Ottawa, um, put this out back in April. And that was kind of the the first trickling out. And then Warren Kinsella, who um, is a longtime liberal, but not not a great fan of Justin Trudeau, uh, tweeted about it literally the night before the G7 summit, which was going to be, you know, Donald Trump's first visit to Canada. And which, of course, resulted in some chaos that weekend in Charlevoix was there. I think there's also 
a really good argument to be made that the reason people are talking about this now has to do with the Me Too movement and has to do with the investigation into Kent Hare, which concluded that same day as well. Um, and it has to do with, you know, the, the prime minister's reputation internationally, which he continued to talk about at the G7 mm-hmm. as a feminist and as someone who's um, fighting for women's rights, women's issues. Now, I imagine that the the Liberal Party uh, and many members of the Liberal government probably want to change the channel on this topic. Yeah. <laughs> Is there, is there a sense that the prime minister isn't dealing with it in a way that someone his party may like? Yeah, well, the, the thing is for them um, that the thing that's good for them is that um, it's the summer break now. So there's no question period every day where uh, Trudeau is, is could potentially get questions from other MPs about this. Um, he hasn't been making very many public appearances in the last few days. He did answer the question mm-hmm. um, the other day uh, on Sunday, but he is kind of out of the limelight for the time being. Um, now, that may not last. We know that there's a lot going on internationally, and he will be traveling to the NATO summit uh, very soon and to Latvia to visit Canadian troops there. So Canadian reporters will have access to him um, and, and will likely ask him questions. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's the thing to keep in mind right now is it's relatively easy for them to try floating channel switchers when the PM isn't getting asked about it constantly and there's no barrage of questions coming at him. And you mentioned the, the NATO summit going overseas uh, to visit Canadian troops. We're also in the midst of a uh, looming trade war. Uh, the country is trying to renegotiate NAFTA. Mm-hmm. This isn't necessarily a good time for the prime minister to be <laughs> lying low as well, right? Right. So he has to he has to navigate that balance somehow. And I think it might have more to do with um, potentially trying to stay away from reporters. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you know, and and we can't ignore that this is also having an effect on his image internationally. This has gone to the international press. There are journalists in the UK and the US who have been reporting on this. It was in the Washington Post just the other day. Um, so, you know, th- this is this is affecting his image. And I think there's a lot of pressure on him inside and outside of his party to have more of a response. The problem is by saying that he doesn't remember, um, he's kind of boxed himself in and it's going to be difficult to craft a message um, that expands upon that without seeming like he was lying before. Yeah. I mean, there have been op-eds written. You mentioned Warren Kinsella. I've seen him comment ways to give the prime minister an out. Andrew Coyne as well wrote a piece Mm -hmm. basically uh, admitting that I don't remember it as it suggested it was happened, but I'm willing to take responsibility for my actions. Um, Do you think that the prime minister may take that out or are we left in this dance of not denying that it happened, but not offering any kind of answer? It's a good question. Um, I think if pressure kind of continues at the same pace, uh, yeah, we might see him expand upon it, but I'm not sure if we're going to get a mea culpa. I don't, I'm not sure that he's going to want to open himself up to a suggestion, for example, that that at the t- this time in his life that it was a pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he uh, that's one of the reasons why this story... Um, didn't really strike a lot of us as a kind of a Me Too story because, you know, the woman herself not coming forward today, um, we don't have multiple people 
saying that something similar happened to them. So here, I think, if Trudeau keeps quiet, he sort of um, allows this to continue being, well, one time, one incident happened, he doesn't remember. Now, you mentioned the the Me Too movement. I I noticed there's been lots of commentary on social media from people suggesting that because the woman who who was involved in this doesn't want to discuss it, that we should just drop it. And I've seen people from both sides of the political spectrum uh, suggesting this. Is there merit to the story beyond her allegation? That is an excellent question, and it's one that I think we wrestled with a lot as we were looking at this story. Um, and I think that, you know, as journalists, we are doing our jobs mm-hmm. by contacting her and, and seeing if she wants to speak out. Um, that is, I think that, you know, suggestions that we shouldn't even try to contact her are, are a bit disingenuous because that's simply our job. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the argument here, um, from a public service angle is that, you know, the prime minister has just really been able to establish a narrative for himself and, um, a very high profile, feminist persona internationally. He's probably the world's most famous male feminist, you know? So I think that here what we see is an example of how human beings are fallible and, you know, how sometimes those brands that people, politicians, are able to establish for themselves are more nuanced than we think they are. Um, And I think that adds something to the conversation too, to the broader conversations that have been struck by the Me Too movement. Marie Danielle, thank you. Thank you. Here's what else is happening this week. After days of protest, the Montreal International Jazz Festival has canceled the remaining performances of Slave. The show, dubbed a theatrical odyssey based on slave songs, has been heavily criticized for cultural appropriation and insensitivity. After previously defending the work, which was conceived by white artists and featured a majority of white performers, the creators of the show and the festival agreed to the cancellation. And a group of anti-pipeline protesters suspended themselves from the Ironworkers Bridge over the Burrard Inlet in BC this week in an attempt to blockade ships from the Trans Mountain Pipeline Terminal. The company, meanwhile, said there had been no interruptions to their operations as of Wednesday. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama and Carrie Ann Sprawl. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.